Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we have Karen Cumming come on and talk about her book, The Indispensable Survival Guide to Ontario's Long-Term Care System, and the stuff that she shares, I guess I knew I was going to be shocked, but I didn't realize I was going to be quite as shocked as I was. It basically seems like a bit of a disaster that's going on in the long-term care facility facilities around Ontario. And I think it's really important that we all know this information and there's some great people working in these facilities, no doubt, but it feels like we need many more, more support, better systems, everything. So if you have anyone, even if you don't have anyone in your family approaching the need for this, I think it's probably in your best interest to understand this information at this point. So um, it's great that we have rockstar members like Karen who come on and share this type of information, even though it's not specific around real estate investing, it's part of living life and living life on your terms is understanding all these different things so that uh, we can navigate through them together. Um, and if you're listening to this and you want some real estate investing specific information, you can always come out to one of our training classes. We're holding them. Our introductory classes are virtual right now. So they're online. We're doing them live though. So we can share real time information about what's going on in the real estate market. So if you're new to us, new to real estate investing, or even have some experience and want to figure out what Rockstar is doing and how we're um, doing real estate on the streets here in Ontario, you can go to CanadianRealEstateTraining.com to register for the next live class that Nick and myself give. That's www.CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. And we'll go through all the different real estate investing strategies that we're doing right now. Everything from student rentals to duplexes to rent to own properties to renovations and the Burr strategy and talk about financing in Canada, the whole bit. So that's at www.CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza and I am here with Karen Cumming. And Karen, um, I just have, I don't know why I have this memory of you at one of our events coming up to me and you gave me an, I feel like you gave me an envelope and in the envelope you wrote the nicest thing. I actually forget the what was said uh, in it, but I remember the feeling I got from reading it. And I'm like, well, this is someone who really cares. She took the time to write this out. I feel like it was about wellness and meditation and that kind of stuff. And uh, you just left an impression. And then we talked, I think another time, or it was the time before that, and I found out you were a journalist. Um, and then now you have this great book, The Indispensable Survival Guide to Ontario's Long-Term Care System, which is what we're here to talk about. But before we dive into that, I need to know more about you to figure you out. Because on your <laughs> website, you also have this Mars 100 thing. So I just, I just want to start right there. What's the deal with the Mars 100? Well, I am one of what's known as the Mars 100, and we are 100 people from around the world who have made it to the final round of astronaut selection in a legitimate mission to colonize Mars with the company Mars One. And it came out about six years ago. Uh, we have all been having a lot of fun with it. So obviously, as you can imagine, uh, anything that has to do with space requires a lot of 
money and investment and the CEO of Mars One has been very busy over the last number of years looking for people with very deep pockets to invest. But in the meantime, you know, we all know that people like Elon Musk and NASA are probably going to make it there first. What I love about it is that Mars One started this conversation six years ago. If you can take yourself back in time to six years ago, no kids were doing projects in school about Mars. Nobody was talking about Mars. And in fact, when I first found out that I was one of the Mars 100 and I started telling people, first of all, they didn't believe me. And then they laughed at me. They thought it was a joke. And it's taken this long for people to realize that it's not a joke. It's very real. And uh, Mars One is looking for average people on the street to go up with them and to train to be astronauts over the course of 10 years. They're not looking for, you know, your typical astronaut, a, a, someone who's a scientist or researcher, an astrophysicist. They're looking for people like me who have something to offer. And my offering is I'm a journalist, a health promoter and a teacher. In my mind, it is the assignment of the century to be able to go to another planet and to document everything that we do and see there for the people who are left behind here living on Earth. Uh, I couldn't ask for a better assignment. It's the adventure of a lifetime. And it's also the opportunity as a teacher for me to teach people about space from space in much the same way that Chris Hadfield did on board the International Space Station. And I just think it's the most exciting thing. So is the plan for this that you would go up and return? No. It's no, like you're going to colonize, you're leaving, you would leave Earth. Yes. I cannot believe I'm even having this discussion. That seems absolutely terrible. Like it's exciting, but my first response is ter I'm, I would be terrified. I'm just going to tell you straight up. I don't know if I have this image of Matt Damon on Mars. I forget what movie that is where he's like stranded on Mars by himself. For me, that's even more of a reason to go. You're going to meet Matt Damon up there? Matt Damon waiting for me to welcome me to Mars. I mean, I'm in. Why would you not be in? Yeah. Oh, man. That's You are brave. You are brave. That's. You know what? I have people say that. It's not bravery. In my view, it's curiosity. And, and as a journalist, you know, the curiosity is what leads you everywhere. And to me, this is just another place that my curiosity is leading me. So in your journalism career, I know we're here to talk about something else and we'll get there, I promise. But in your <laughs> journalism career, how did that start? Were you, did, was that something you've done from, I don't know, leaving From day school? one. I always wanted to be a reporter, a journalist. And I was inspired by, and this will make you laugh, Irv Weinstein from WKBW Eyewitness <laughs> News. If you remember him from yeah. years ago, I'm a little older than you, so it might not be so fresh in your memory. As no, no, but I, the, the reruns were still on when I was yep. watching them. I yeah. actually have an autographed picture of Irv Weinstein in my living room, and it says to my favorite Canadian reporter, Irv Weinstein. I was always just inspired by back, you know, back in the 70s when I really grew up, People like Diane Sawyer, Dan Rather, all these big time journalists. Uh, I was you know, tremendously inspired by them and what they did for a living. And it's the only thing that I ever wanted to do. Yeah, I feel like that era of journalism really was had some power. Um, things feel like, and you would know better than me, I just feel like we, you know, just with the distribution of media the way it is now, you know, it's not so concentrated of, around a few personalities. But some of those characters I just felt had such they just came across with such integrity when they spoke. I don't know what it was specifically. It just felt like they oozed this integrity. And I know over the years there have been some, I can't remember everything that's happened that have kind of, I don't know, 
fallen off maybe but uh but in general some of some of those characters they were they were a big such a big influence in society well when you think about it they were the original influencers you know now we use the word influencer in as it relates to social media but back then all we really had when you think about it was television radio newspapers magazines and movies that was really it i mean we didn't have satellite tv we didn't have cell phones we didn't have all of these things that we have now today. And we looked to those people, we trusted them. We trusted that they were telling us the truth and that they were giving us information that we needed in order to live a better life. And I was always really inspired by that. Can you, how crazy would it be if like, Five years from now, I'm talking to you from Mars. I would <laughs> no, sorry, you're it. on Mars. I'm here. I'm here. I'm not talking to you from Mars. I'm here. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking to you from Earth. I'm here. Wouldn't that but, be fantastic? That would be insanity. If you had to pick a wild guess at when this would happen, what, what, when do you think? Just throw it out there. Sure. Well, their, their most recent projection now is 2032 because they need 10 years to train the first crew of four that goes up. So, you know, who knows what's happening in terms of their fundraising right now, but that was the last projection I heard was 2032. That's not that and far. It's not that, that far. That is not that far. No, and you know, the training involves all kinds of things. Learning how to be, you know, doctors, how to be engineers, how to be, you know, dentists, doing all these things, how to grow our own food. Uh, these are just the, the basic needs that we're going to have up there, and we're going to have to have this knowledge and accumulate this knowledge in, in that 10-year period of training. You are a crazy person and I love it. I mean that as a compliment that you definitely, there's a crazy aspect to you that is really cool. I so, take that as the highest. Form yes. Of yeah. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Please do. Please do. Um, and then, so your, you know, your journalism background, how, how did this, how did it get to be in, a, in the book? I think you share, it's just a personal story, but the long-term care system has obviously been in the news just because of everything going on with COVID and all this stuff. So the timing seems just really good to get into it. My personal experience with the long-term care system was my wife's father had to enter that system. And he was a bit of an, I don't know the wording, but I think it was a bit of an emergency case. He had some kind of serious dementia, ended up in the hospital. Yeah. Okay. Is that a crisis case? Ended up in the hospital and they had to place him. He got placed within a week. And I think we all felt very fortunate at that time. This was this was probably like 15 years ago now um, that he was placed locally in Mississauga so everyone could visit him. But I remember the uncertainty around that. And that was just a short time because it was a crisis case, the uncertainty and confusion. And, and I think both Nick and I pride ourselves on the ability to gain an information advantage. Like we'll make the 10 phone calls, the look up the 20 websites. We will email people, you know, with no fear. We'll walk into a place, ask for information. But I just remember in that period of time, it just felt like, we couldn't get any answers. And I know you've done a great service with this book. So I don't know what you probably know where to start better than myself, but could you maybe just frame this for us? You know, how did the, sure. how did the book get started? And, and, and you know, how do, how do we as Canadians and people living in Ontario, what, how do we, how do we look at the long-term care system to begin to understand it? Well, I think what is so fascinating is that when we first put this book together, it was released just before Christmas last year. It was timely then. This was top of mind for lots of baby boomers who were, you know, in the situation where they're needing to guide a loved one, their mother, their father, someone else in their family into the long-term care system. So it was timely then. But now it has become 
a hundred times more timely than it ever was before because of all the shocking revelations that are coming out in the wake of, of COVID-19, the military going in to, uh, to help run these homes and then issuing this bombshell of a report to the government telling them exactly what they've seen, which, you know, by the way, nurses, PSWs, unions have been shouting this from the rooftops for years and no one would listen. And it took the military to come in and issue a report before the politicians actually stepped up to the plate and said, oh my gosh, we've got a crisis on our hands. We've got to take some action. So just to, just to frame this and put it in some context, I couldn't have asked for a more timely reason for this book to be out there. The reason I originally felt so strongly about uh, the fact that it needed to be written was that I, just like you, I mean, I was in this situation together with my sister. We guided our mom, Verna, into the long-term care system at the end of 2018. My mom was 98 years old. She was living in an assisted living facility in Grimsby called Deer Park Villa. Wonderful place, staffed with angelic people who were just, you know, fabulous to her. But one day she woke up, she lived there for about four years, and she woke up one day and she could no longer walk. And when you can't walk, you can't live in assisted living anymore. Why? Because the PSWs aren't allowed to help you walk. They can't help you get to the dining room and back. They can't help you walk to the washroom. So uh, she, our mom was assessed by what's called a care coordinator inside the Lynn. And this will make you smile. Miss journalist here, I didn't even know what the letters L-H-I-N stood for. The Lynn is the Local Health Integration Network. And if you've never been involved in, in the long-term care system, you probably have no clue. Just like my sister and I, we were totally clueless. We were the poster women for how to do everything wrong because we were not prepared. No one taught us that it was important to be prepared. So we did zero preparation for this. So we learned that the Lynn is what you have to deal with when you're guiding your mom or your dad or whoever it might be into long-term care. So this care coordinator comes over, she assesses our mom, she says she is a crisis case. And that's sort of where our education began. When you are a crisis case, you go to the top of the list ahead of anybody else on that waiting list for a long-term care bed who still has their mobility, let's say, or they're not in some kind of a crisis. So that was a good thing. But you know, there was so much more to come. We waited for about a month before our mom was placed in a home uh, that was on our list of preferred facilities. And if there's one thing that I could get across to everybody who's listening right now, the one thing you could do that you probably don't know about, you need to start touring the facilities in your uh, geographic area so that you can see them personally, so that you can talk to the people who work there, talk to the residents, get a feel for the place, because when it comes time for your, your loved one to go into long-term care, that care coordinator is gonna say to you, okay, you need to give us a list of the top five, 10, you can do as many as you want if you're in crisis, top uh, places that you would feel good about having your parent go. We were so stressed out and in such 
a state of exhaustion that we could not imagine organizing our own tours. I mean, no one's doing this for you. Organizing our own tours of these places, going to see them, then, you know, doing a list of the pros and cons and figuring out, you know, ranking them in order. It was impossible for us to do this because time was of the essence. We didn't have the time. And if we had only realized that this one thing could have helped us so much when it came time to actually make the decision, where do we want our mom to go? Is there a list? Where, where would you get a list of facilities? There you go. Yeah. You know what? You would think that when you start this whole process that someone would hand you a colorful brochure that explains everything you need to know. Well, guess what? It doesn't exist. And it blew my mind that the, the system does not hand you a nice little information package that teaches you about how the system works. They don't. And when I realized Jeez. that they don't, I was so gobsmacked, I couldn't get over it. And this is not a unique story. You talk to pretty much anyone who's been through this and they'll tell you the same thing. So uh, long story short, we relied, oh, this is embarrassing to admit this, we relied on the photos that we saw online on these places' websites. And we knew one person on the inside of the system who had at least seen these places and could give us some idea of what they were like, what they felt like, would they be a good choice? If we hadn't known that person, our entire decision would have been based on these grainy photographs that we saw on, online. And how awful is that? And how many people are in this situation? Only because they have not been educated by anyone, the government, the Ministry of Long-Term Care, no one, or, or maybe they, no one in their family has ever gone through it before. So, wow, are you ever just flying by the seat of your pants? And that is so wrong because it's already such an emotional time for everyone to have to layer all this stress on top of that because you don't understand the system is ridiculous. In your book, you do have some links to some. Oh my gosh. You, you've collected them. You've kind of collected up all the different resources, right? Is that, is, am wow. I representing that properly? We spent so much time after our mom passed away. What happened is that eventually our mom uh, was offered a bed. First of all, in a place that we couldn't go to, we turned it down because if you can believe this, the, the home had a furniture policy that said that you couldn't bring any furniture in that wasn't upholstered in plastic or vinyl or leather or something wipeable. And we had just six months before bought our mom a lift chair that was uh, uh, upholstered in this plush fabric that our mother adored. It was her sanctuary. It made her felt safe. She was in a lot of pain and it took the pain away. And we knew that if we told her that she couldn't take her chair with her, she would have just given up and died. And so I got on the phone with Lynn and I said, look, um, we have to turn this bed down. And what happens ordinarily is, and this is not in COVID times, okay? Ordinarily, if you turn down a bed that you've been offered, they take your name off the waiting list for three months and then you have to start all over again. And like we were just hoping that that was not going to happen. And they were kind enough to let us stay on the list. And we got an offer of a bed about two weeks later in a different place. 
and it all worked out really well. It was a wonderful place, and we were very happy with the care that our mom got there. Now, in COVID times, what's happening is, because you know there's so much anxiety, people are so worried about having their loved ones in these places. If you are actually in a situation where your mom, your dad, your loved one needs to be in long-term care right now for their own safety and security, maybe like our mom, they can't walk anymore, or maybe they have dementia, or it's just time for them to be in long-term care. If you're offered in a, a bed, in a place that, for example, maybe it wasn't your top choice or you've changed your mind about it, you are allowed to turn it down now and they will not take you off the waiting list, which is huge because it means that you're not waiting for months on end to get reinstated on that list so that you can get placed somewhere. And in general, how long is it taking, if you had to pick a number, right now if I'm on the list, and, you know, I'm going to accept the first one that comes up. How long would it take to get into a long-term care well, facility? Right now, in COVID times, I honestly don't have the answer for that. I don't know. But in our case, it took two weeks to get the first offer and then another two weeks to get the second offer. Essentially, unfortunately, what you're waiting for is for someone to pass away. So that a bed yeah, because there's, there's no like capacity, extra capacity in, the, in any of these places. Oh, goodness, no. And yeah, also yeah. what's happening now is if, let's say your mom or your dad is in long-term care and you're really concerned about the virus and you want to take them out of that home, you lose the bed and you have to start all over again if you should decide that one day you want them to go back into that home or another home. Okay, so I, I guess these are basic questions, but how do you get in touch with the person? I remember, you know, my wife and her family, they were talking to somebody about this placement. How do you get in touch with just yes. that person who helps you coordinate right. this? Some people are connected with the care coordinator in the Lynn through their family doctor. It can happen that way. Some uh, times you can be connected through, let's say, in our mom's case, she was in an assisted living home. And if my memory serves me correctly, I think the people who administered the home were the ones who got us in touch with the Lynn. I okay. think that's how it worked in our mother's Can you case. just call the Lynn yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. You can. Yeah, there, there are regional offices. If you just go online, it's very easy to find phone numbers. And you just call them up and you tell them, I would like to speak to a care coordinator and they will put you through. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, and then uh, I want to go back to the list in a second, but the costs for this, how does that yes. work? Here's another thing that nobody tells you about. If you go into a home, uh, like right now in Ontario, there are 626 long-term care homes. And if you um, decide that, that your, your mom, your dad, your loved one, you, they're, they're, they need to go into one of these homes as opposed to, for example, uh, a Seasons or an Amica that is really a retirement home, a much more expensive place to live. But they do the same thing? Well, no. Oh, okay. What happens is sometimes, in some cases, people who have the, the means to do so will live in a retirement home uh, until such time as they start needing more help. And then they just pay 
to have a, a PSW, an extra PSW, come in and give them the extra help that they need. And if such time comes as they really need long-term care, if they have the money, they'll just pay a nurse and a PSW to be with them around the clock. Oh, got it. So okay. It's, kind of, it's the it's this 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 gap between the people who are very well-to-do and for whom money is not an issue and uh, people who just can't afford that. Uh, you know, a lot of people, elderly people, they're living off the proceeds of the sale of their family home. And if that isn't enough to afford them that more expensive kind of lifestyle, they wind up going into the homes that are either run by municipalities or not-for-profit not organizations, or in some cases, they're run by for-profit organizations, for example, Chartwell, which has also been in the news recently. Um, so uh, long story short, you can go online to the Ministry of Long-Term Care website, and they have a chart there that explains to you the cost for a private room, a semi-private room, or a room with four people in it. Most often, it is easiest to get a private room or a semi-private room, and I'll explain why. The rooms that have four beds with them are often taken up by people who are seniors who are on very low income. They don't have a lot of money and the government subsidizes them to be in that nursing home by putting them in a room of four. So uh, in our case, our mom was in a private room. Her home was a little older than some of the others and so she paid a little less, but it was around I'm going to say I'm going to say it was around $1900 a month. Uh, I'll have to check my numbers on that. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Sure, we won't hold you to it. It's just no. to, get, to give a yeah. ballpark, check the book. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 book. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but it is it's 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 public information and it's there and it's a standard rate and it's decided on by the government. And uh I wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, every year they review it, and if it's necessary, they increase it by a certain percentage. But it, everybody pays the same, depending on the kind of room that you have. So the, out of the 626 homes you said that are in Ontario, that is a mix of what you described. Ont uh, government run, some of them are private run. That's a mix of all of them, correct? Yes. It's okay. uh, uh, privately run, not-for-profit organizations. Uh, so, for example, I'm trying to think, of, uh, the Salvation Army, for example, would be Got an example it. of a home run by a not-for-profit. And then you have the for-profit, the not-for-profit, and the ones that are run by municipalities. Um, and that's, that's the mix. And, the, and then that's why I've heard, I guess, about some of these assisted living homes. I'm not sure if I'm even using the right language, that they seem to have a floor that people can move to if they need extra help. And I guess that's what you're describing. They would move to that floor maybe and then hire an extra nurse to help them out. That would only be if you were in one of the more expensive retirement. That's what I mean. And that's what I mean. On those expensive places, they seem to are in a retirement home. Yeah. And they seem to designate a floor yes. or an area. We started um, designating, a, uh, let's say, for example, a separate floor or separate wing for what they call memory care. So people who are who are dealing with dementia, Alzheimer's, that kind of thing, they have a more oh, floor for them. And supposedly they are um, part of the service they're offering to those residents is to um, hire people who have special skills in dealing with people with dementia. 
that's the idea. Whether or not that always happens, I don't know, but that's the idea. Yeah, just seeing the inside of some of these homes from my little experience when 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 Carol's father was in it, uh, yeah, it, we need to do a better job. It's just yeah. it, it, sometimes I flash back to you know our father come our father comes from this little village in the middle of nowhere in Europe. Okay, and I sometimes look at that village life the way it was set up. And, you know, I was fortunate enough and to, to remember going there quite often. And the village kind of was this community and everyone took care of each other right through old age. And it's like, if somebody had some special needs, the, 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 the village took care of those people. And if there were elderly, they were, they were respected and um, taken care of. And the village seemed, and I'm not saying we should go back to village life. That was, you know, but, but I can see how the community just rallied around itself and supported itself. And I feel like now now that we've grown into these big urban centers and you have some of these things that I feel like now we've just failed at, at this, it just hurts. Like it's just depressing. And, 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 you know, I, I'm not one to want to pay more taxes. Like I'm definitely not that person. However, if someone was to come up to a, with a plan in Ontario and said, Hey guys, to fix this for our elderly, for who need it, here's how much we all have to contribute. I'm in. Come in. Tell me where to pay. Tell me how much to pay. I will pay. Like it just feels like we're, and I'm not saying this is the only segment of society that we've probably let down. I just mean it's so obvious now when the military is writing a report saying this, that it's just, it's, it's, it's like heartbreaking, yeah. you know? So I, I just really, it's, it's, it's really important that you wrote this book, Karen. And it's just really, I'm sure you're getting great feedback. I know on the Amazon reviews, I see the great feedback that you're already getting, but this is, you're doing a great service. Well, you, you bring up such an amazing point there when you talk about your father's tiny village in Europe. Uh, I'm a big fan of a book called The Blue Zones, uh, which is written by a journalist named Dan Butner. And he spent a lot of time traveling the world, searching for these communities on earth that were the healthiest and where the people lived the longest. And, you know, they're in places like Costa Rica, Japan. Um, I'm trying to, trying to remember all of the other an ones. island off Italy somewhere. Yeah, a blue yeah exactly. Zone or something. Yes. And the idea being that these places that were built on social connection and that that was such an important part of good health and living a long life and people caring for each other. And, and I agree with you. I think that in these urbanized centers that we live in here in North America, we have utterly failed our parents and our parents are the greatest generation who built this country. And this is what happens to them. I'll tell you a quick story. Even in our mom's case, she lived in a beautiful home, but even in the beautiful homes, there were situations that were common to a good home and a not so good home. For example, I would, um, um, but with my sister and I, we would call our mom in the evenings just to say hi and to talk to her. And towards the, as she, as her health really began to decline, I would call her, let's say seven o'clock and, and they were supposed to have their dinner at five o'clock in the afternoon. And she would be crying, telling me that she was still waiting for someone to come to her room and take her to the washroom. You want to talk about your heart breaking in a million pieces when you hear your mother say something like that? So we would lie to her. We would say, oh, mom, it's going to be okay. Someone's going to be there soon. Don't give up. It's all going to be all right. And then I would hang up with her and I would call the nurse's station. 
And most of the time, there was no answer. Why? Because the nurse was busy doing her job nursing, you know, in whatever way she had to on the floor, looking after way too many residents for one person. And so I'd leave a message, like a desperate message saying, please, we know you're busy, but you, could you please go and help our mother? And I'm telling you, you want to, to um, have an experience that really brings you down to your knees. It's hearing your mother cry because no one has come to take her to the washroom after dinner, two hours after dinner. So that is certainly one thing that you will see on the inside of these places, the good ones and the not so good ones. And another thing you'll see too, it, it's, it, the, the issue is chronic understaffing. There, there just aren't enough people there to do the work. And in these places, they have what they call call bells. You, I know you've seen them before. They attach to the bed. And if, you're, uh, if you need help, if you're having problems, you ring the bell and someone comes to help you. I would sit towards the end of my mom's life. I would go there in the evenings and just sit with her and talk to her and listen to music and that sort of thing. And these bells, and I'm not exaggerating at all. People think you are when you say this. These bells would ring for hours because there weren't enough people to answer all the bells and my sister and I would say to each other you know what what would happen if Doug Ford's mother or father was in one of these places I bet you'd see things you know improved pretty quickly and you know fast forward uh, you know more than a year now to see that his mother-in-law actually is in one of these places so my hope is that, that because this is affecting him personally now, he's going to realize how dire the situation is and that we must start making change. You know, this is such a, an, uh, a fascinating time in the history of the world. We're seeing so many things just implode. So many complex systems totally. imploding. And, and our, yeah. The consciousness of the planet is shifting and people are starting to change their views on things and, and these giant systems are starting to change. And my deepest hope is that the, the, this is the moment that long-term care will begin to change. Now that the average person even has seen all of these terrible things exposed. I mean, mouse droppings, uh, uh, bed bugs. I mean, it just blows have your you, mind. In, in all your research and putting this book together, have you seen an area of Canada or elsewhere? Did you Have you come across an area that's like, oh, wow, they kind of have that figured out? Or have, were you not exposed to that at all? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I did a little bit of that kind of research, but as you can imagine, you know, you could do a deep dive in this and just research. I'm for sure. Years. Totally. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I, had, I had, I was on, and I was on the clock. I had to crank this out because I knew people needed help, but I can tell you this in the time since the book has come out, I've paid a lot of attention to people being interviewed in the media, uh, particularly academics academics in Canada who've devoted their entire lives to studying long-term care, not just here in Ontario and in Canada, but in other countries around the world. And there's this really wonderful woman at York University. Her name is Dr. Pat Armstrong. And this is what she has done. She has examined these different um, systems in different countries. Who's doing a good job? And uh, I listened to her being interviewed not too long ago. And my recollection of, of it was that she was pointing to countries like 
the Scandinavian countries and like Germany, places that just get it. And I'll give you an example. One of the things that she recommends that whenever the, the system in Ontario decides that it's going to either renovate what we have or tear down what we have and rebuild better long-term care homes, that one of the things that needs to happen is that each unit must be self-sufficient so that there is no danger of the spread of a deadly virus like COVID-19. So instead of people being in semi-private rooms with two beds sharing a bathroom or four beds sharing a bathroom, that should come to an end. Every room is private. And not only that, every room has its own uh, washer and dryer so that each person's laundry never leaves the room. There's no threat of cross-contamination or in a, in a central laundry, right? So my hope is that the government is going to listen to people like this woman who have studied these countries and what they're doing and what their best practices are and will uh, you know, bring those things into play here in Ontario. You know, they're talking about this commission that's supposed to get started in July. First, it was supposed to be September, and then they moved it up to July. And my feeling on that is, you know, I echo the comments of a lot of PSWs and nurses and unions who are saying, we don't need another commission, another inquiry, another opportunity for, you know, bureaucrats to sit around a table and, and discuss it into the ground. We know what's wrong. And we have smart people who know some of the things that we could do to build a strategy to fix it. Listen to these people and start taking action. I believe that's what needs to happen. And I know that a lot of other people who are in the trenches feel that that is what needs to happen. You know, what happens after these commissions are finished and they take months, like this is not something oh, that yeah. we over in yeah. two, two weeks. It's months, and then they come out with a binder full of recommendations. And then, you know, so many times sits the on recommendations a shelf. sit on a shelf, right? So why? Why would we bother? We need help now. We don't have the luxury of time. We have to fix this. Um, Karen, uh, yeah, this is, this is just like so much going on in the world, and then you layer all this stuff uh, in there. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you think – how do we get to this point? Like, is this a result of, you know, I get obsessed with economics and the economy and I kind of study all this stuff. And I've been recently, I've been reading, doubling down on all of my reading. And I just kind of, I'm putting a lot of just different thoughts together around that. And is this a result of just like a baby boom generation where we just, we weren't prepared for this many older people all to hit, in an economy at the same time, like where did we go wrong? Do you, well, is there any, you think about it, right? And I know like, you're just wonderful when, when you do the deep dive in, into economics, it fascinates me how, uh, you know, how excited you get. I, I, I think I have an obsession. It's a, probably a problem. It's, border, it's borderline on a problem. It's borderline. We're, so, we're so fortunate that you have this obsession because all of us get to learn from you, which is great. Thank you. Um, I think, you know, as you well know, I'm a child of the 60s. I was born in 1961. And that was, I was the tail end of the baby boom. Uh, you know, my brother and sister were really the heart of the baby boom. They were born in the late 1940s. So when this baby boom start, started swelling, what happened? Uh, cities started to build elementary schools by the hundreds. Why? Because they needed them. They knew that 
all these little babies were going to start growing and needing to go into a school and they didn't have enough. So they started building brand new ones. I can take you for a tour and show you the one that I went to when I was six or seven years old. So the question becomes, who's in charge? Who's in charge of having the vision to put together the plan that would support all these baby boomers and their parents who were dealt with, you know, in such an expedient way in the 1960s? Well, what happened? Well, where are the people who, who had the vision to say, well, we built all those schools. Now we're going to have to start building more long-term care homes to accommodate all these people. If you can believe this, I say this in my presentations. According to StatsCan right now, you're a numbers guy, so you're going to like this. There are more than 2.4 million people aged 65 and older living in Ontario. More than 2.4 million people aged 65 and older living in Ontario. How many long-term care beds do you think there are in Ontario right now? Just oh guess. Oh my gosh, uh, 626 homes. I don't know, maybe 100 each. So I don't know, 600,000? 79,000. Yeah. Wow. And the oh government is promising in the next five but we years. We have, and, and, and the baby boom, this is just start. Like we're, totally. we're, we're headed for a disaster here. Yes, it is like we're, you know, David Suzuki once, once um, uh, used what I thought was the greatest metaphor to talk about uh, uh, global warming. He said, it's like, we're all sitting in a car and we're speeding at a hundred miles an hour towards a brick wall. And we're arguing about who's going to sit where. Yeah. 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 It's exactly. coming. Like this tsunami of, of our parents is coming and we're not prepared. I mean, the government has promised in the next five years, another 15,000 beds. And in the five years after that, a further 15,000. So you do the math. By the year 2030, we'll have 109,000 beds. It's not enough. And what the issue, as far as I'm concerned, is we haven't been paying attention because we haven't needed to until now. It's not until you have to take your mom or dad and get them into long-term care that you start paying attention to the system. I mean, if, if everyone now is starting to realize that we're not prepared. There was a news story in October of last year that I, that I do talk about in my presentations and that also just blows my mind. Apparently, you probably know all about this, Ontario has someone called um, the something of financial accountability. Uh, forgive me, the, the title has escaped me yet, but it's, it's somebody who did a study on all this. And they said that um, the wait list for a long-term care bed is going to peak this year at 40,200. That's 40,200 people waiting for a long-term care bed and we only have 79,000. And he went on to say that the, the needs of the aging population will outpace the growth of the long-term care. Totally. That seems the obvious. is admitting yeah. that it's not enough. Yeah. And we're not noticing this and screaming from the rooftops, what is your plan? What are you going to do about this? I don't know what their plan is. I mean, if that's their plan to add 30,000 more beds, it's not enough. The system is going to buckle under the weight of the volume of people who need help. 
just hearing this makes me think, what are the fundamental problems in a society where you get to this point? And then my mind, because of my personal bias, automatically goes, well, geez, you know, I remember growing up in the 1980s and it was like only one parent was working if there was two parents and could support the family and there was more people at home to assist. And it seems like over the last 20, 30 years, no one can really get ahead to save and everybody's running around working hard. And it's not like everybody has a saving stockpile that even if you wanted to support an older parent, you could say, no worries, mom, no worries, dad. Yeah, I will pay for an assisted living facility. I will pay when you need to get into that floor. And I know that's just my bias. I always go back to the money system. I just the way my brain works, but I'm like, we just, we've just screwed up on so many different levels. And it feels like we've gone through this like 30 year window from maybe when I was born, I'm born in 1973 to like the year 2003 or something like that, where everything was kind of like honky dory, you know, everything kind of like was working and everything was kind of good. And then in the last 10 and 15 years, the problems in all different complex systems have gotten so great. It feels like they're all colliding together right now. And it's exasperating the, I mean, I don't even know if I'm, I can't even speak that word, but it's, it's making everything kind of worse all at the same time. And I'm an optimistic person. Like I'm not trying to say the world's coming to, well, heck you're flying tomorrow's in a little while. So I know there's, there's, there's progress coming uh, in, in different areas. Um, but, uh, but it just seems like we have a lot to, lot to fix and we need people like you, Karen, like we need people like you breaking down the information for the rest of us, the way you, you have done it. So, um, you know, I just, I just want to thank you for what you're doing here and, and to just keep spreading this message and keep talking about it. And um, it's really important, you know, um, and I know you know this, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I just really want to thank you for even considering to tackle this. Well, um, thank you. I, I so appreciate that. But there was no question. I, I had to be tackled and no one else was doing it. And, you know, you talk about your personal bias being uh, money. Uh, my personal bias as a journalist is, is to go to money, but for a different reason, to follow the money. And yeah, I think got that, it. Um, yeah. you're wondering, why has this happened? You know, what have we done? Well, I have a suggestion. Uh, back in April, the CBC came out with a, what I consider to be a bombshell report. It was on April 15th. And it talked about three different things. First of all, it talked about the fact that last year, if you can believe this, out of 626 long-term care homes in Ontario, only nine received their annual comprehensive inspection. The province stopped those inspections. That was the first thing that it revealed. The second thing that it revealed was something that I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm such a naive reporter, you know? I can't believe that this thought never occurred to me. It suggested that there are so many companies who are running these private, retirement and long-term care homes and that they routinely lobby the government for deregulation for reduced unannounced inspections for you know for essentially for a break so that was the second thing that it revealed and the third thing it revealed was and my jaw just dropped to the floor when i heard this that the chair of the board of chartwell which is one of the major players in the elder care uh, industry in uh, canada the chair of the board of Chartwell is former Premier Mike Harris. So as a journalist, I look at those three pieces of the puzzle and I say, wow, inspections were cut last year to almost nothing. Uh, uh, these companies lobby for special treatment 
And Mike Harris is the chair of the board of Chartwell, and it's since come out that he has millions of dollars of shares in that company. So you might remember, I think I remember better than you, Watergate, the big Watergate scandal. You do, yeah. I've only kind of read about it. You don't remember it right. better than me. <laughs> so Watergate, one of, the, one of the pieces of advice that um, Woodward and Bernstein, their informant, Deep Throat, one of the pieces of advice they gave them was follow the money. And in, in, my, in my view as a journalist, we need to follow the money because I personally think that this is our generation's Watergate. If you think that they've, they've pulled back the curtain on everything, you've got another thing coming. If the military's gone in and, and has, has exposed the scandal, I think there's more scandal that's going to be exposed and it's gonna make that look like a day in the park. Yeah, this particular one hurts a lot, like, I like others, but this one hurts just because it feels so personal, like we're letting people down, but... Um, we are. In, in your, yeah, and, and, and in your book, you cover so much ground. If someone was to pick up the book, I think one of your early chapters, I can't remember which chapter it is, chapter maybe two or something, you kind of answer just questions that are almost like rapid fire. If someone was to pick up your book, is there is there an area of the book that you think is maybe not paid attention to that should or that you would really like to call out or just everything equal? Is there, is there something in there that maybe um, you think people should be paying more attention to if they're, if they're kind of going through it? Sure. Uh, I'm just taking a quick flip through the book too. Well, that's a great question. It's not one that I've, uh, uh, well, there's I've so much stuff. Before. Sometimes I find in the, the stuff that we put out, I'm often like, wondering why people don't pay attention to something I think so important. I'm like, why are people missing this part? This is the most important part. I, th I think actually the thing that I would like to uh, shine a light on is the very first chapter. It's called Ask Great Questions. And I talk about, uh, because I know the audience that I'm talking to, I know they'll understand what I'm trying to say. If you remember back in the 1970s, there was this great TV show called Columbo. And Columbo was played by Peter Falk just so brilliantly. And he would show up in this rumpled raincoat, smoking a cigar, you know, wrinkling his brow. And he'd just sort of say, um, just one more thing. And that is the one thing that I think I would like people to understand or take away from the book is that you need to start asking great questions just like Columbo did. And we did it many times. And many times it was uncomfortable because the people we were talking to didn't like us asking these really in, you know, great questions. Questions a lot of people would never think to ask and we wanted an answer and sometimes they don't like that. But you, you have to be the advocate for your loved one. It is your job, I mean, we say in the book, it's almost like you're the project manager for your parents' care and it's a job and you have to uh, understand that and accept the terms of that. And, and do your best to do the best job you possibly can to take care of them. And, and part of being a good project manager, I mean, you know that, part of renovating a, a house, having a project manager on the job, their job is to make sure everything gets done the way it needs to be done. And it's no different in long-term care. It's just that we're not used to it because we've never been through it before. We don't know what to do. And the system doesn't help us. And, you know, one, one of our, I mean, we have three key messages in the book. The first one is be proactive and prepared. If there's something that you remember after listening to us talk today, please remember it's your job. It's, I think it's your duty to your loved ones to be proactive and prepared. Secondly, we want people to know you are not alone. 
there were so many times when my sister and I felt completely and utterly alone, like we had nowhere to turn, no one to talk to, no one we could call who would give us advice. We felt alone and we want you to know that you are not alone, that we are here with you. And if you wanna reach out to us, you know, at any time, you know, we, we welcome that. You're not alone. And thirdly, the system is not gonna change. You can listen to the politicians make promises and tell us that it's all gonna be better soon. Let's get real. The system is not gonna change for some time. So that means we have to change. We have to start learning what it is we need to know in order to navigate the system that we have right now, not some dream system that's 20 years down the road, but the one we have right now with a minimum of stress and frustration. You talked about how frustrated you were when you were trying to help your father-in-law. I mean, imagine, take the frustration you felt and you magnify it, let's say by a hundred for the people who are dealing with all of this inside a pandemic. They can't even see Jeez, their loved yeah. one. They can't touch them. They can't be in the same room. Those images of, of someone outside a window looking up to a second floor. I mean, it's just heart, heartbreaking. 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 Honestly, I think, uh, uh, you know, this is one of the, the most heartbreaking things to ever hit a generation of people. Uh, those of us who have parents who, who need to be in long-term care, for a job to help them get there, and, and we're, we're being told that the system is just falling to pieces in front of our very eyes, all of these scandalous things that no one has revealed before are suddenly being revealed. How are people supposed to feel about this? Imagine the stress level. You talk about mental health being so top of mind now during this pandemic. Those people, I, I, I feel oh so deeply gosh. for them and their mental health. Um, yeah, thanks, Karen, for all of this. So um, there's the, if, if someone's listening to this and they need the information quick, there, I know there's a Kindle version because I, I have your, your hard copy paperback version um, that I've misplaced conveniently somewhere, but I know it's somewhere because it's somewhere. It's, it exists somewhere <laughs> here. Um, and, uh, and I recently picked up the Kindle version. Thank you um, for doing that. No, no, oh my gosh, no, no problem at all. So I just want to read out the title and then I'm going to ask for your contact information. So it's the, sure. the Indispensable Survival Guide to Ontario's Long-Term Care System. And Karen Cumming um, is the author of that. Together and with my sister. Together, like, oh yeah, yeah let's, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to, I never want to forget my brother. So I don't want you to forget your sister. What's your sister's name? Oh, sorry, what's your sister's name? name? I don't have Pat Milne. Cool. Cool. Thank you for that. Yeah. Don't want to forget the family. Don't want to forget the family. And um, what about a URL for you or, you know, uh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, The book is available uh, on amazon.ca and chapters.indigo.ca Kindle and Kobo in both uh, print and digital formats. And one quick thing I'd like to mention is that the digital format, as you already know, all of the links that we researched, and we researched a ton of of really important links, they're hyperlinks. So all you have to do is touch the link and the document pops up in front of you while you're reading about it. If you buy the print version of the book, go to our website, which is indispensableguide.ca, and there is a reference page 
go to the reference page, and all of those links are listed by chapter and page number as hyperlinks. So you can sit in front of your computer while you're reading the print copy and just click on the hyperlinks and see the documents that we're talking about. We felt really strongly about doing that for people. Um, so you can certainly find our book online. Uh, alternatively, uh, I'm, I'm happy to uh, uh, bring a copy to your door. If you email me at Karen Cumming, K-A-R-E-N-C-U-M-M-I-N-G at gmail.com. Uh, tell me uh, where you live and how many copies you'd like. I will bring them to your door. The price is $24.99. And uh, one other thing I'd just quickly like to mention too is that uh, plans are in the works now for uh, me to put together a long-term care boot camp online that will include um, a presentation that's all about our family's experience of the long-term care system, a copy of the book, uh, a workbook that you'll be able to print out, and uh, a two-hour session going into some of, the, um, uh, some of the details, doing a deep dive into all the things that you really need to know in order to be proactive and prepared. Wow, that's uh, incredible. And the, just the fact that you broke out those hyperlinks for someone reading it, that alone, just that alone, because it was so handy in the Kindle version that you can click on them, that alone is, uh, is huge. So uh, Karen, I have to admit, when we started down this path, path with Rockstar, if I knew I was going to stumble upon people like yourself, cool people like yourself, we probably would have started a lot earlier than we even did. But I feel really <laughs> grateful that in this weird way, through a real estate brokerage, <laughs> we get to meet the coolest people. So th I just, you know, from both myself and Nick, thank you for sharing this message today. Thanks for being who you are. You know, really, it really, this is what makes it worth it for us because real estate in and of itself can get a little tiresome. I got to tell you, there's problem after problem after problem. And sometimes you just throw your hands up and you're like, I don't even know if this is worth it anymore. But then to get to communicate with people like yourself and have a podcast like this and share this kind of message, it's a reminder for us. So even to, that it's all worth it. So I just want to thank you for inspiring us to keep doing what we're doing. So well, thank you very much. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I really want to thank you and Nick for everything that you're doing, not only with uh, Rockstar, real estate but the the podcast that you do I know that you uh, you reach a wide audience and I think it's really cool that your your topics are so diverse you're not just talking about real estate all the time you're bringing uh, you know things like this in into the spotlight so that people who are you know fascinated and interested in real estate and investing are also getting a taste of you know some of the other things that are going on in the world that might help them live an easier life or a better life and i think that's a, a great credit to the two of you that you feel so strongly about getting this podcast out there and i want you to know how much i appreciate you uh, uh, in, inviting me into the conversation today and, and giving me a platform to be able to reach people. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks, Karen. And, and listen, I'm going to remember this day because if I ever do speak to you from Mars, I'm going to freak right out in a good way. So I'm remembering this day because that's going to be a great day. Um, so, okay, we will leave it at that. Um, we'll put links also into the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you couldn't record some of the URLs that Karen was sharing, if you go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast, and if you find the link to this, episode, we will have some of Karen's links right there for you as well. So as a backup, we'll have that there for you as well. So Karen, thanks again. I know you're doing more talks today. So keep sharing the message. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Tom. You bet. 
Hey everyone, it's Tom Crowds again. So thanks for listening. I forgot to mention that we did that one through Zoom. So Karen was virtual. Um, hopefully the audio came out okay. I think it did. Thanks for listening. And if you want some real estate investing information, you want to come to one of our introductory training classes. They're about 90 minutes long, but we do do some Q&A at the end. You can register for the next one at www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's it for now. Until next time, your life, your terms.